0: a bit bit briefer in my comments, uh, because we want to get to the Lord's Supper additionally. We're in the book of Matthew, we're in chapter 7, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and we took a lot of time to look at the Beatitudes, and and now we're finally in chapter 7, we're looking at verses 1 through 6 today, and the title is Judge Much, and Jesus has something to say about that. So starting in verse 1 here, and the text is in front of you, or you can open up your Bibles and follow along as well. This is the New International Version. Do not judge others, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see more clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. This is the word of God. Father, would you give us attention to your word now and drive home uh, the message that you long for us to hear that you've designed from all eternity by giving us your eternal word that is applied in this moment in time uniquely. And we pray that it would have its intended effect. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is a, an interesting passage, isn't it? And you hear a lot of people saying, don't, don't judge me these days. And the assumption is that there's no grounds on which you can say what you're doing is wrong or right. Is Jesus suggesting that's the case here in this passage? And I would say no, that's, that's not the case. What Jesus seems to have in mind here is not whether or not we can actually be discerning with respect to right and wrong, but more the manner in which we go about doing that. And especially concerned, as he's been all along the way, with the state of our own heart. He wants to make sure that when we are seeing and looking around us and making calls about right and wrong, and especially in relationship with others, that we're doing it with the right mindset, the right frame of heart. And yet, There is something to the idea that we don't stand on a lot in our own personal judgments. And that's really where he begins. Let's see if we can unpack this just a bit. In verse 1, he says, Do not judge others, or you too will be judged. In other words, our default mode should be grace. I don't know how many of you have heard this illustration or even where I heard it, but somebody was talking at some point in my life about imagining we were on an elevator, in a crowded elevator, and you're um, just kind of gotten your own space, but there's somebody who keeps jostling you a little bit, maybe pushing up against you, and you're getting a little agitated, and in fact, it's, it's so bad as you've been on this elevator for a little while that you, you're, just, you're getting angry. You want to turn around to the guy and say, look. Mind your own business. Keep out of my personal space. And you're about to do it when the elevator stops and the doors open up and the person gets off and the person's blind. And they've been using you know, the, their, their guide to try to see where they are too. Now, if that happens and you can imagine that scenario, typically you would go from anger to what? Compassion. Why? What changed? It was exactly the same scenario but your perspective on what was going on was radically shifted. And now you have a a little bit more compassionate response. And when Jesus here starts talking about this issue of of judging others too, the the place he starts is kind of like that. Don't judge others or you too will be judged. The, The idea or the concept that we are all on leveling ground. And that's the basic message of the gospel. Do you remember the very first beatitude that Jesus said? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you have poverty of spirit, you recognize you're not standing on your own merit before God. You are bankrupt. You bring absolutely nothing to the table. Which one of you has done enough good so that you can get into heaven? Anybody here feel like they're completely worthy? In fact, here's the standard, perfection. Have any of you done everything right all the time and ceased to do what is wrong? Righted every wrong? Obeyed every law? How many of you got awards from the Mason City Police for driving perfectly this past year? No, but they don't give awards away for that. All they're doing is looking for what's wrong, right? And then you get maybe a citation. And frankly, I'm guessing almost all of you sped coming here even if it's a mile over the speed limit. None of us has done everything perfect. And so, when we come to this issue of looking at somebody else and, and trying to see something that's wrong with them and wanting to point it out, the very starting point is to recognize, on what basis do we, can we do that? I mean, this is, this is a leveling ground. Don't judge others or you too will be judged. And Jesus, it seems to be giving us a mentality that says, okay, let's knock ourselves down just a bit to make sure that we start from a posture of humility and we recognize, but for the grace of God go I. And you know what? Most of the time, something that's bothering you about somebody else could be the very issue that you yourself have. You're a little bit more aware of it. In God's providence, you know, when, when, when I, I get the chance to deal with a text like this too, somehow he seems to shine a spotlight on my own personal issues. And this, this week, I've realized how critical of a spirit I have. And you might be wondering, what am I thinking about you now when you're talking to me? How am I judging you? And that's fair. I, I wish that weren't always the case, but God shined especially in a couple instances it's light on me saying you are starting from a point of criticism. You, in fact, are believing the worst about somebody. Maybe I don't have all the information. Maybe, maybe, maybe I, I'm just dreaming things up in my head. I am a classic mind reader, thinking thoughts for other people that they've never articulated to me ever. And I have all these imaginary conversations. With it's not fair. I mean, this passage, you think it's for you. Uh, Of course, it's for me. And like I've said many times when I preach, it's just me having a conversation with myself about God's word and how it's applying to me. Frightening. Do not judge. My default mode is grace. How am I getting into the kingdom? Only because of what Christ has done. And so now that I've established that, I've said, yes, I know I cannot possibly be God, in God's presence without you. Now I've got license to go around and look at how others are even worse than I was, even though who I was was so bad I couldn't get in either. Our starting point, our default mode, is grace. And Jesus goes on to say, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, before you start having those thoughts or even saying those things or looking at somebody else and pointing out their faults, consider it's kind of the golden rule. You want to treat others the way that you want to be treated, right? That's just kind of second-grade, kindergarten-type stuff. Jesus says that critical spirit, which, which for me is probably the way judgment comes out, is not the way I want others to treat me. I mean, if I had the same, people have the same scrutiny towards me that I'm issuing towards them, ew, that wouldn't be nice. And maybe in my mind reading, I think you are, and that's not fair to you. So let's, let's recognize here that there's an opportunity for us as we start on that leveling ground to be gracious in the way that we treat others, especially if we see something that's at fault with them. A lot of you know this verse, let's stay with kids for a little while. This is when we taught to our kids early on. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's kind of the idea here. If, if, if somebody's coming to you with heat and you respond with gentleness, it usually diffuses just a bit. If somebody comes to you with heat and you respond with more heat, well, then things get kind of out of hand. But it's hard to do, isn't it? If somebody comes at you, a gentle answer turns away, wrath somebody's got, you, 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 and they're mad, and you say, I'm sorry. Even though you're thinking, but you're wrong. And for some of us, maybe who lean immediately towards truth-telling, instead of recognizing the 1%, this is another thing for kids. See, this is just like a Disney movie. <laughs> it's for kids, but it's for us, right? You know, it was t- you know, they're 99% responsible. I don't care. Take responsibility if you're 1%. That's it. God's going to judge them for their 99%. You don't need to be the judge there, but you're on the hook for that one. And that's the mentality that we take. And these are interpersonal uh, kingdom type things. We're talking about what does it look like to be a citizen in God's kingdom. It's upside down. Because the world would say if somebody comes to judgment with you, generally speaking, you, you return it. And Jesus says, no. That, it shouldn't happen that way. But he doesn't stop there in verses 3 through 4. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You know, we see others' faults more clearly Then we see our own. Our default mode is grace. Treat others the way you want to be treated. But the the tension inside of us is that it's easy to see somebody else's faults. It's much easier than it is to see mine. And so much of the Sermon on the Mount, of course, is pushing us toward change in, in, in ourselves and in the culture around us. But it does start with ourselves, drawing that circle as we've said before, stepping into it and saying, okay, God, change everything inside the circle. That's the starting point. And this is what Jesus is pressing on us too. Before I begin taking the step outside, because in relationship, it does mean there are opportunities and times, in fact, duties that we have to confront another person in love. It is not loving if somebody is doing something harmful to themselves or hurtful to you simply to say nothing about it. But the way you say it, the posture of your heart, Jesus is concerned about right here. Because it could be that there's something bigger happening with you, and that's the real starting point. Roy Hessian in The Calvary Road, one of my favorite, all-time favorite books, argues that the plank in your eye is our unloving response to the other person's speck. That's what he says, the plank, I got a plank in my eye, what is it? It's my unloving response to your speck, your tiny thing that's real and kind of grating and annoying, sort of like grain in the eye would be. That's what it feels like when you do this particular behavior. And my unloving response to that, he argues, is actually the plank in your eye. It's not just I like got a bigger, bigger sin that I need to deal with. It's my ungracious response to your tiny offense is the plank itself. The moat, It's another word for the, the beam, has provoked, or the little moat is tiny, the, the tiny little speck of dust, has provoked in us resentment, or maybe coldness, or criticism. In fact, this is what he says. Without doubt, there is wrong in the other person, but our reaction to that wrong is wrong too. The mote in him has provoked in us resentment or coldness or criticism or bitterness or evil speaking or ill will, all of them variants of the basic ill, unlove. And that, says the Lord Jesus, is far, far worse than the tiny wrong, sometimes quite unconscious, that provoked it. So it could be that your unloving response is the bigger problem here that Jesus is dealing with and, and, and in fact he goes on to use pretty strong language he says you're a hypocrite and I think this is interesting because so far the targets have kind of been outside of us with Jesus you know those hypocrites who like to pray and they look fantastic or but they've received their reward in full or they fast and they announce it to everybody and they've received their reward in full and everybody kind of like other times saying yeah yeah those people and then he says you're the hypocrite now because you're, nobody escapes from this. It's not just these people on the side of the road who look fantastic and their hearts are far from God. This is interpersonal relationships that we're all on the hook for if we want to be disciples of Christ. And he says, You're a hypocrite. You're two faced. You're not consistent. And in order to move forward in that relationship, first, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see more clearly to remove the speck of dust from your brother's eye. In other words, hypocrisy here is neglecting to see our own faults first. Jesus says, you're a hypocrite when you don't take a moment to look at your own eye, the plank in your own eye. Now, and that even could be, for example, your unloving response to whatever it is that's bothering you, even if it's legitimate. I'm not talking just about, you know, toothpaste. Squeeze from the bottom up. Instead of like right in the center, that could be a speck of dust, perhaps, or it could just be a critical spirit that somebody has towards you. They're always complaining about everything, and you're tired of it. It could be your first take the plank out of your own eye. You know, we talk about the gospel waltz, right? The three step thing repent, believe, and obey. You... You start with repentance, and this is the way of life for a Christian. It's just how it goes. You're constantly, if you're on the process of becoming more like Christ, aware of your own sin. You're always saying, okay, God, what do I need, what do I need here? Where do I need your grace? That's what repentance is, and I don't want to do that anymore. And you believe that God forgives you for it, but then you obey. And, and that's where it starts. You see your own faults first. But it doesn't end there. You go from hypocrisy to what might be called sincerity. That is, you care enough for your brother or your sister to lovingly show, I know that's a split infinitive, but it sounds better than show lovingly, to lovingly show him or her, his or her faults. I'm by nature, as I've told you, again, a peacemaker, which means avoiding conflict. If I see something in somebody, I kind of hope that God takes care of it without me how, having to ever intervene. Uh, but that's not really being very loving. Be, it just isn't. That's not where, how relationships work. There, there is conflict in relationships, but that conflict can be used as opportunity for growth for, for each party. And if you care enough for your brother, then you have a burden. A responsibility to show his faults I've had this happen to me before too and I'm grateful for people who come and say hey you've said something or did something that was offensive or hurtful to me and it's always easier the farther away you are from me well wife comes and says it that's a little more difficult I don't know why should be the easiest right there's a home run babe I'm so sorry That's what it would look like. And, and, and my wife's loving me when she says, Here's something I th- I've been praying about, and I think I just need to have this conversation with you, and I embrace that, right? Or it creates conflict, and we have to pray through it. But that's a good thing. Caring enough to lovingly show faults. In fact, I remember the very friend, Scott, who, whose church Jill attended last week out in Phoenix Arizona one time he and I were talking and I was I was saying something about Joe Oh yeah she does that or whatever and he said brother don't ever confess your wife's sins he was serious it's so one thing about Scott he'd tell you how it was sometimes too I'm like oh wow I feel about this big right now because I think it was in front of some other people too and maybe he could have told me later I, I don't know but actually it landed home I've never forgotten it you, you're not responsible for confessing your spouse's sins. At least that was his argument. It kind of struck me. I'm like, yeah, you're right. This isn't the right time to start talking about it. She's not even there to defend herself, which is a great time to do it for somebody else, right? Because they can't even talk about it. That's wrong. Brother, don't ever confess your wife's sins. Hopefully I haven't. Again, I'm far quicker to confess my own and this is what Jesus says we need to be doing. But sometimes we don't even see it. And there's a, a classic moment when David is confronted by Nathan. And he tells this parable. You know, somebody's kind of stolen something that it isn't his. And, and David says, oh, that person should be punished. And he says, you're the person. And David, uh, all of a sudden, is undone. Like, whoa, what have I done? This is one of the, one of the things about being in God's family is we're inviting into each other's lives the opportunity to to, to sharpen each other and, and and confront out of love but if it's done with a motive because you want to look better than somebody or your anger see that no root of bitterness takes place it could be you're speaking out of hurt and bitterness and that's why Jesus says come and do business with me confess your sins And let God root out what's in you. Maybe you need to process it with somebody else before you go and confront that other person because you could be looking for them to be somebody that you are treating in an unloving sort of way. And this happens in marriages all the time too, but it can happen in the church. And Jesus says, judge much? Nah, you shouldn't be doing that. It doesn't mean we lack discernment. The, the The whole Bible is built On this notion that God has given us a world that functions best according to his plan. And if you're outside of that, then then somebody needs to tell you that's not right. But the manner in which it's done. How many people have been damaged in the process who won't even listen any longer to a loving confrontation? Because it's been mishandled. Perhaps you're the one who's done it. Maybe this is a time uh, to, to confess and reach out to somebody and say, forgive me. I've wronged you. It goes a long way. And then in verse 6, we read, Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Pretty strong language here. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. And what Jesus seems to be saying here is that rebukes to the foolish rebound back on you. So exercise discernment. I mean, he's not the only one who said that. There's other passages, for example, in Proverbs 9 8, do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. See the difference there. Somebody's foolish or a mocker and you reach in to give them instruction and rebuke and they just hate you even more. Versus a, a brother or a sister in love is coming to you out of a, a spirit of poverty and a genuine conca- care and love for you saying, brother, Sister, I need, you, I need you to hear this. And, and, and wounds from a friend in that respect who's got your good in mind are places that can be fruitfully growing for you. Thank you. Because I was unaware that what I said or did was received that way. And if if you're somebody who's living in God's upside-down kingdom and you have poverty of spirit, you see how different that is maybe from the world who wants to strike out and lash back and get defensive. And somebody here who's walking with Christ in this way is able to say, I'm sorry. Or start processing that on, on a completely different level instead of responding with hostility. And Paul was writing to Timothy, he said, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time after that, have nothing to do with them. And I know, if you're thinking, well, this describes my family members, you can't really move out. I get that. But this, this is a picture of our posture to people. If we're in relationship and I'm, I'm lovingly confronting and they're not receiving that rebuke, it may be that you can't do anything about it. Because all you're doing is, is offering the pearl of forgiveness and somebody is treating it like a pig and it's going to come back on you. And Jesus is saying here, like we see the rest of the scriptures kind of reinforce that at the end of the day, judgment is God's. You cannot change other people at the end of the day. And so you're trusting them to God's judgment. You have a role, responsibility, I'm pointing this out. And then if they just completely ignore it repeatedly, I'm trusting them to God. I've done all I can do in good conscience. Now God's in control of the rest. And ultimately speaking, we know there's a time when we'll all stand in judgment before him. But there's a time when you just need to trust him. Roy Hessian says this, when God is leading us to challenge another, let not fear hold us back. Let us not argue or press the point. Let us just say what God has told us to and leave it there. It is God's work, not ours, to cause the other to see it. It takes time to be willing to bend the proud, stiff-necked eye. When we in turn are challenged, let us not defend ourselves and explain ourselves. Let us take it in silence, thanking the other. And then go to God about it and ask him. If he was right, let us be humble enough to go and tell him and praise God together. There is no doubt that we need each other desperately. There are blind spots in all our lives that we shall never see unless we are prepared for another to be God's channel to us. So the next time somebody confronts you, maybe you could see it as a gift. Instead of just another chance to lash back or have the reinforced record in your head that yeah I'm just a pile of nothing and I'm no good and whatever your particular response is to confrontation especially as we enter into relationships as brothers and sisters and ultimately what ground do we have to stand on except for Christ himself I mean which one of us is worthy enough there's only one who's worthy is heaven's peeled back and we see who is worthy really are you the one are you the chosen one from all creation god's gift to humanity it's you right it's his son christ he's the only one who's worthy and that leveling ground hopefully gives us a posture so that we become less critical of a spirit and more open and willing to hear from others too Where we ourselves have shown fault. Father, I pray that your grace would abound in us, not as an opportunity or a license to sin or to wield like a weapon the opportunity to point out somebody's faults. This is not the design. Instead, you tell us do not judge others, or you too will be judged. In the same way you judge others, you will be judged. Thank you for the grace extended to us. For those of us maybe who are quick to be critical, forgive us, Father. For those of us who are unwilling to listen to a brother or a sister or say, "Hey, look, something might be wrong in the way that you're thinking or acting. Give us tender hearts. Tenderize us. And that can be painful, but we invite that, because we want to walk well before God. And as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, perhaps we'll have a chance before the end of this day to listen without responding. And we pray that you would give us a greater sense of what that means. And that we'd have a little story of victory in our own hearts in the process of applying the gospel. Quick to repent, quick to believe, and then quick to obey. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.